Turn your Bibles to Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Continue our sermon series from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5. Peace with God. On March the 10th, 1974, Japanese Army straggler, Lieutenant Hiro Onodo, walked out of the jungle on the island of Lubang just south of Manila Bay, and he surrendered. He surrendered in 1974. But the war between the Philippines and Japan had ended on September the 2nd, 1945. For nearly three decades, Onoda refused to believe the reports of peace, which he heard on the radio and read about in the Japanese newspapers, left on the, the beach for him to find and read. He thought it all had been part of an American ruse, done in order to lure him into a trap to get him to surrender. He kept up his one-man war for 29 years. He absolutely, despite the international declaration of peace, he refused to surrender. He was pursued through those 29 years by Filipino soldiers who sought feverishly to find his hideaway. Every day he would go to the beach and look for the Japanese Navy to return to assist him in recapturing the island. The war had ended. But Onodo derived no benefit from that peace. To benefit from the peace, he had to believe that the peace had been declared personally and accepting it by walking away from his life of resistance. Onodo's situation on that island is comparable to those who have not proclaimed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. As we will see this morning, the death of Christ on the cross has brought peace between humanity and God. But for those who refuse to accept the peace, for those who refuse to the reports of the resurrection, there is no benefit from anything that God has done for their salvation. Like Anoda, the unbelieving world continues to wage war with God when they could be experiencing the benefits of peace with God. Making peace with God is a great dilemma that we as fallen humankind face. God is holy and righteous and just. And God by his very nature cannot have community with fallen humanity. In fact, Scripture says we are his foe as long as we stand in sin. You see, God can have no fellowship with us in our sin. By the fact that he is holy, he must have no fellowship with fallen humanity that took the fall in Adam, which is the end of Romans 5, verses 14 through 21. Well, I want us to notice some things this morning. First of all, we need to admit that we really were enemies with God. We need to admit this morning that we really were once enemies of God. 
Look at Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore links this passage, this chapter, Romans chapter 5, with everything that's gone before in our study until now. Therefore, Paul has already told us that our salvation does not come by the deeds that we have done, but rather by our faith in Jesus. Remember Romans 4, 3 last week? Abraham believed, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness from Genesis 15, 6. Therefore, like Abraham, we have been reckoned as righteous by our belief, by our faith in Jesus. We are enemies with God until we're redeemed by our faith through the crucifixion and resurrection of the Christ. Dr. Carl Minninger tells the story of a gentleman in Chicago on a busy street corner. He would stand there and all of a sudden, just almost like a statue, and then he would come alive all at once. He would point his finger to a passerby and he would shout, guilty, and then to another, guilty, and then to another, guilty. Then he would freeze again and just stand there for a while and just unexpectedly when a new group of folks walked by, he would start pointing his finger and, and shouting, guilty, guilty, guilty. One gentleman walked by with a companion and after they passed by the pointing finger, the shout of, vic of guilty, he looked to his friend and said, but how did he know? How did he know? He knew because all are guilty. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all guilty. Psalm 14 gives us a realistic view of the condition of sinful humankind. Psalm 14. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, to see if there are any who seek God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. The psalmist Conscious tells him that if God were to rise up in judgment against humankind, that none could ex escape his condemnation. Thus the prayer of the psalmist, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who would be able to stand? The psalmist saying, and likewise, the prophet proclaimed that we all contain sin in our lives. Isaiah wrote, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned everyone to his own way. In the New Testament, John the Apostle agrees with the Apostle Paul. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say we have not sinned, we make God to be a liar. 1 John 8. Well, the prophets declare, the psalmist is set to music, and the apostle is penned in the letter that we have all sinned. We are all at war with God. We are all guilty. We are all, Romans 5.10, we're all enemies of God. Humankind's highest destiny is to have fellowship with God. For creator and creation to live together in community, in harmony, but because of our disobedience and because of our sin, we can have no fellowship with God at all. A good God 
cannot live in community with sinful humanity. Remember Romans 1.18? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The story begins, therefore, with a God who is holy and a God who is wrathful against sinful humanity. We are enemies of God. We are at war with God. First thing this morning Paul wants to see in Romans 5 is we are enemies with God. But secondly, Jesus paid the price for peace. Jesus paid the price for peace. Well, look at Romans 5, 1 again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, what I discovered this week in Romans chapter 5, I'd never seen it before, but everything happens through our Lord Jesus Christ. So much so, I hadn't seen it before, but 12 times in Romans chapter 5, there's a little Greek preposition used that tells us it's all happened through Jesus. 12 times. I want you to look at them with me. Look at verse 1 again. We have peace with God. There it is the first time. We have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2. Through, there it is again, through whom also we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Through Jesus. Well, in verse 5, we have the third use of through. We receive the love of God through the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus' Spirit, which has been given to us. Look at verse 9. It's, it's, it's a fourth time. We have been saved from the wrath of God through Him, meaning Jesus. We have been saved from the wrath of God through Him. Verse 10, we have the fifth occurrence. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. In verse 11, you have the sixth and seventh occurrences. Not only this, but we also boast in God or exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. It all happens through Jesus. Reconciliation through Jesus. The eighth time happens in verse 17. Isn't this unbelievable? The abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Grace, righteousness, life all come through Jesus. The ninth occurrence is in verse 18. Through one act of righteousness, that's the death of Jesus on the cross. Through one act of righteousness that resulted justification of life to all men. The tenth occurrence is in verse 19. Through the obedience of the one, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. In verse 21, we have the last two occurrences in this last verse, occurrence 11 and 12. Even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through, 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 a dozen times, everything you have in God has occurred only through Jesus Christ and His obedience and His righteousness. You remember 
the Christmas proclamation of Matthew 1:21, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Or Luke 19:10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Or, or 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is true and worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners, loving us so much. And knowing he must send his wrath against sin, God sent his son to die in our place that we could have peace with him through Jesus. Every time you think about your salvation, you need to think about those two words, through Jesus we are reckoned as righteous through Jesus, through our faith in Jesus alone. Your salvation this morning is not about the deeds that you have done, but about your faith in all that has been accomplished through the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Christ. While Jesus was crucified, there was darkness over the whole land that lasted for three hours until Jesus died. With the darkness came silence, for no eye could see and no lips could tell the agony of the soul of the spotless Lamb of God, how he endured on the cross. He was abandoned by God. God, who is holy and righteous and just, could not look upon his own son because he had my sin and your sin on that cross. And then came the cry of abandonment from the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ tasted the estrangement of the soul, estranged from God. Bearing our sins, he died our death. The Father could not reach out and save, for he must bear our sins that we might live, live through Jesus, through his death, and through the glory of his resurrection. There's a third thing I want you to see. Though we have peace with God, the world still wages war on God's people. Though we have peace with God, the world still wages war on God's people. While we do have peace with God, don't make a mistake here. Paul is not saying because of what Jesus has done, you'll always have peace of mind. That's not what he's saying here. Oh, to be sure, because of our forgiven sin, it may give us some peace of mind, a feeling of tranquility or the weight of sin lifted from our conscience, Isaiah 32. But Paul himself didn't always have peace of mind, did he? Paul himself admits to feeling utterly and unbearably crushed, despairing of life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he's perplexed and he's fearful and he's suffering from anxiety of all the churches, 2 Corinthians 11. In fact, in Philippians 2, he says he has sorrow upon sorrow. Peace of mind is not what we're talking about here. Rather, we have peace with God. Having peace with God means that Christ's followers, unlike the wicked, no longer do we stand under the wrath of God. But we have security and well-being and a wholeness in our restored relationship with God. Do you remember that benediction, that priestly benediction in number six? The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you 
peace. Remember Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 57? Peace, peace. To him who is far and to him who is near, says the Lord, I will heal them. Peace, peace. Those have been fulfilled through Jesus. Paul is saying in Romans 5, we have peace with God. Isaiah further asserts the effects of righteousness will be peace. The result of that righteousness will be quietness and trust forever, Isaiah 32. But what has been done by God through Christ exceeds even the prophecy of the prophet. Isaiah declares there will be no peace for the wicked. But now, Romans 3, 2, 1, even the wicked who put aside their brazen defiance and smug pretensions and accept God's offer of grace through Jesus, they have peace with God. Yes, we have peace with God, but we're still at war with the world. Those who say no to God's offer of grace through Jesus. Even more so because we have left the ranks of the ungodly and we have joined the army, God's army of glory. We have war with this world. Notice Paul uses the word boast twice here, three times in all in Romans chapter 5. First of all, he says, verse 2, we boast or we exult in the hope of glory. More on that in a moment, but also oddly enough, though we have peace with God, we boast in our tribulations and our tribulations bring about perseverance and perseverance brings about proven character and proven character brings about hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God is poured within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Yes, You can either exalt or boast in the tribulations you have as you wage war on this world. Suffering is a harsh reminder that the followers of Christ are at war with the world. If we were to look at the apostle's own body, we would see the bruises where he's been beaten because he's at war with the world, beaten because of his faith. And this isn't just any kind of suffering, but this is a kind of suffering that happens when we call Jesus Lord. It happens from our open commitment to Christ. Christians then and now face ostracism and rejection from their families and acquaintances and persecution and prosecution from the state and the authorities because of their faith. And I've been reminded myself recently that the truth is not always welcomed with applause. You see, even though we have peace with God, the gospel does not offer us our best life now. The gospel offers us our best life in the world to come in the kingdom of God as we share in the hope of his glory. That's the fourth thing. We have the hope of glory. Look at verse 2. Through whom, again, through Jesus, we also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Jesus did not rescue us from our earthly death just to prolong our life on this planet. 
Jesus did not rescue us from our earthly death only to prolong our life on this planet. Rather, we are redeemed to an eternal glory and a kingdom of God. Christians pile up hope upon hope, 418, for we face life with greater fortitude. That word translated perseverance or patience is best translated fortitude. Like a soldier, we stand in courage. We have fortitude. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he's an earthen vessel, afflicted in every way and perplexed and persecuted and struck down. He realizes through his own suffering, he conveys to the world the treasure of the gospel that shines through the cracks of his own fragile clay pot. So we exult, we boast not only in our tribulation, but we boast in the glory to come. There in verse 2, Christ did not save us just to plod along the path of this earth. No, he saved us for heaven, for another kingdom, for eternal glory, for a kingdom of which we're citizens other than this world or this nation. Paul is using the imagery in verse 2 of unhindered access to the throne room of God. We stand before God in the grace through Jesus and we're saved not to just be in these broken bodies forever, forever, but rather we are saved for the hope of glory. I like the way Paul will tell it to us in Romans 8, 17. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, we might also be glorified with him. We boast not just in our tribulations, but we have glory to come. Glory to come. The love of God poured out through his spirit into our hearts. The divine power that overcomes the enemy. Creator and creature together. Jesus, verse 6, comes at the right time, doesn't he? For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And this is that very time. This is when the Bethlehem baby is born, born to die that we might live and live beyond this life into the glory, the hope of God. Look at verse 8. God demonstrates his own love towards us. And then while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's God's timing. Calendars didn't determine the timing, nor did human worthiness. But Christ died for us while we were powerless, verse 6. Ungodly, verse 6. Sinners, verse 8. Enemies, verse 10. And worthy of divine wrath, verse 9. Yes, verse 10, we were enemies, but we have been reconciled to God. How? Through the death of his son, reconciled through his death. In verse 10, how much more? If you are reconciled to God through his death, just think what his resurrection will do for you. Verse 10, yes, God has made peace available to those who proclaim the lordship of Jesus. We have the hope of eternal glory. There's the last thing I want you to see. The decision is absolutely yours. The decision is absolutely yours. It's true. God loves you just like you are. Isn't that the message? While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Hardly anyone will die for a righteous man. Oh, somebody might die for a righteous man. But God died for us while we were yet sinners. He loves you as is. Ed McManus tells a story of a priest in Puerto Rico. A woman is dying of AIDS. The priest is called to be by her side. He attempts to comfort her, but she refuses to be comforted. I'm lost, she said. I have ruined my life, and I've ruined the life of everyone around me. And now I'm painfully going to hell, the woman said. There's no hope for me. The priest saw a framed picture of a, a beautiful young lady on the dresser of the dying woman. Who is this? The priest asked. The woman brightened. She, she, that's my daughter. She's the one bright spot in all my life. Would you help her if she were in trouble or if she had sinned? Would you forgive her? Would you still love her? The priest asked the dying woman. Of course I would, the woman responded. I would do anything for her. Why would you even ask me a question like that? Because I want you to know, said the priest, that God has a picture of you on his dresser. But you have to be willing to receive it. God took the initiative. Through Jesus, the price has been paid. Christ went to the cross on that Friday afternoon. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. And even though the battle is over, and even though we can have peace with God, you must personally accept the truth. God will not force your hand. You are free to reject reconciliation. Like Hero Anodo on that island. If you act like the war with God is still raging, then you'll still be at war with God. If you want to keep fighting against God, living your own life, you can act as if peace with God hasn't been attained. Despite the fact that God did everything that needed to be done 2,000 years ago, and the crucifixion of the Christ. God loves, God gives, God provides, but you must personally claim that peace. Ronald Reagan tells the story when he was a young laddie and an aunt that was really good to him and was always catering to him. And even at a young age, he said to young Ronald, I want you to have a custom made pair of shoes. Wow, that's a big deal. Most of us don't get that ever in life, much less as a little boy. I want you to have a custom-made pair of shoes. So he, he went to see the cobbler, the shoemaker, and the cobbler asked me then, well, Ronald, do you want square toes or round toes? And Ronald, little Ronald, just hem-hauled around, and he couldn't decide, and he said, I just can't decide. And the, the shoemaker said, well, you come back in a few days and tell me, then I'll start on the shoes. But I need to know, do you want round toes or square toes? Well, the shoemaker, Ronald never showed up, and the shoemaker just ran into little Ronald in town. He said, well, I need to know, do you want square toes or round toes? And Ronald still said he just couldn't make up his mind. Well, he said, I'll decide for you. You just come on to the shop in three days, and I'll have those shoes ready. And when little Ronald Reagan arrived, the cobbler handed him a pair of shoes, one with a square toe and one with a round toe. And he said to Ronald Reagan, you make your own decisions in life. Don't let other people make your decisions for you. You understand me, young man? And Ronald said he did. 
The decision is absolutely yours. God has done everything that God can do through Jesus Christ, his son. We are saved by his death, how much more by his resurrection, and thus we have peace with God through Jesus. We can boast in the fact that we can go to the throne room of God through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, but you must personally claim this peace with God. For 2,000 years, the war has been over. Will you make his death your death so that you can make his life your life, that on this second Sunday of Advent, we too can have peace with God. Let's pray. Oh God, there's someone by live stream or television this morning, it's her day to have peace with God. It's his day to say that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and I can be made right with God, not because of what I've done, but it all happens through Jesus. Maybe it's your day to, to pray this little prayer with me. Quietly there in your living room or here in this great sanctuary, oh God, I'm a sinner. I need to die with Jesus so I can rise with, rise with Jesus. I confess my sin. I call him my Lord. I invite him into my life to be my Savior. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.